1968 Camaro out there. Man, nice. Ooh, love that car. Just a fan of Camaro in general. So let's do this. I know this is risky. All right, let's compare Mustang to Camaro fans. Oh, oh. Never mind. Got my answer right there. I like Camaro. So there we go. I have enough of that. Because we can get into another, another whole comparison with, you know, Firebird and Le Mans, all that kind of stuff. So we just won't even go there. Let's talk about road trips instead. We can all, we can all go on a road trip. It'd be okay. So, um, road trip. It's one of those things, you know, you say, let's go, this will be fun. You get in the car and it's a great trip. Everybody's headed out and you're excited. You know, passion, joy. It's going to be fun. And I don't know how long it takes till you get into the road trip and all of a sudden it's like, oh <laughs> man, okay, when are we going to get there? This is taking a while. And then all of a sudden you hit some traffic. And then there's an accident on the highway and it's not you, but it's still, it takes longer. You're like, oh my goodness, and there's construction on the highway. This is not what I had in mind for the road trip. This is not what we thought. We got some great snacks, got some great tunes, but we've kind of almost exhausted all of that. Kind of done, you know, with the fiddle faddle. Any fiddle faddle fans in here? Okay, all right. So, you know, you got all that, and it's that middle part of the trip that gets tough. Sometimes. You know, the last part of it, it's like, hey, we're almost there. It's going to be great. Woohoo! You know, familiar signs. This is fun, all that. But it's that middle part. It's that part of the journey where you're. You've left. And the excitement for leaving is kind of done. You're not there yet, but you're in the middle. And things haven't gone like you thought. It's taking longer. And maybe you're up against even a barricade. You have to take a detour. It's not like what you thought. It's in that part right there that the journey gets tough. When your drive inside begins to slow down some. When you start losing a little bit of the enthusiasm and the passion and you need something right there in the middle of the trip. You need something right there when it's getting tough. You need something to remind you and get your drive going again so you can finish the trip. We've been following the man Moses in the Old Testament as God called him to go back and set his people free. And they've begun a journey out. They have left Egypt, as we followed them up to last week, and they're about to get into the early parts of the trip and about to hit some traffic. They're about to hit some roadblocks. They're about to have to take some detours, and the trip is about to get tough. So this morning, I think we're going to all relate to where they are because we can all know what it's like to be in the middle of the trip and need some help with the drive. Maybe you've been walking with Christ for a while. And that early enthusiasm and passion is starting to slow down a little bit. You've run into some struggles along the way. You end up having to take some detours that you didn't plan on. You had to take a different path, and that wasn't what you thought. It's not as scenic as you had hoped. It's not as joyous as you had planned. You've kind of exhausted your strength, and you're ready for some new drive. We've come to a good place this morning. You ready to look into God's Word, to learn something, to see what He has today? Our message in our next part of our Driven series today is this. Driven keeps moving forward at God's direction in spite of what seems impossible. 
when you get into that part of the journey and it seems impossible to make it past. Maybe the detours you've taken, maybe the troubles you've been into have caused you to think, I don't think I'm ever going to experience what I thought God was going to do. I don't think I'll ever get to the destination. I don't think I'll ever have the joy and the outcome because of what's happened in my life. This happened to the people of Israel. Turning your Bibles today to Exodus 13 is where we're starting. We're going to move into 14. And I'll just tell you ahead of time, I'm not taking it verse by verse. I'd love to, but the passages are long, and I want to move through the story some. So I'm not ignoring verses because they are difficult. I'm just condensing the story for time's sake and to gain the biggest amount of truth out of what's going on here. So uh, the children of Israel had been slaves in Egypt for generations, a long time. And all they knew was a slave mentality. All they knew was what it meant to be to to just jump whenever Pharaoh spoke, to live in constant fear, and to think their life was just destined to be a life of slavery, a life of bondage. They didn't even think there was a possibility of being free one day. But God sends Moses back, and Moses confronts Pharaoh. He confronts the one who holds them in bondage, and God brings a series of plagues that just devastate the land because Pharaoh won't let his people go. And Moses keeps saying, let my people go. And finally, in desperation, Pharaoh lets them go, and they leave, and they begin their exodus out of Egypt. Our story picks up today in chapter 13, and here's what it says. Here we go. Then it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. God was not just leading them out of Egypt. He was leading them to a place, to the land that was promised to them, a land flowing with milk and honey, I'm sure you've heard, a beautiful land, their land, a blessed land, their place where there would be freedom, where there would be protection, where they could be God's people, where they could rest there. And what's fascinating to me in this story is that as they begin to be set free, as Pharaoh lets them go, it says that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. You see, if you were to look on a map and chart the course from Egypt to the promised land, it was not that long of a journey, perhaps about 400 miles Something that should have been easy to accomplish. But God doesn't use Google Maps. He doesn't. He's not always looking for the shortest route to get you from where you are to where he wants you to be. You've got to remember that because we are so accustomed to the Google Maps path. You and I look for the shortest distance. If you've got to make a trip from here to somewhere in Texas, you're going to punch it into your maps. 
You may even be old school and pull out an atlas. Tell your kids and grandkids what those are. So they'll appreciate what Google Maps does. And you're looking for the shortest route. You may choose to take a path that takes you a little bit longer if it can help you avoid some traffic, but you're still looking for that shortest path. Now, you might be like, like my mom when I was young, and my mom and dad and I went on a trip. My dad was always shortest path. And when he got in the car, you see, my dad was a former truck driver. So when we got in the car, it was mission. We were on it, and it was point A, point B, we're done. And, and my mom would say, Ben, can we stop and look? No, we got to get to wherever before 6 o'clock. So if my mom wanted to go the scenic route, she had to start months ahead of time convincing my dad, Ben, we're going to take this path because I want to see this. And then she'd have to keep talking to him, and he would finally... Okay. And so then we would take that path. But it was, we're not stopping in between. We're not stopping, you know, to get snacks. We're not stopping anywhere else. I don't care what roadside, you know, things you see. We're going we're gonna to get to the point. God is not always about point A to point B in the fastest possible path or the easiest possible path. In this case, God could have taken them to that place, shortest path. He could have gotten them to the promised land quicker, but the Bible's clear. He did not. He did not take the shortest path. And it says why. It says because that was the way of the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines did not like the people of God. They didn't like many people, but they sure didn't like the people of God. And so to go that path, God knew was going to bring some troubles. In fact, the next part of the verse says this, for God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Interesting. God knew their hearts, their situation, where they had been, where they were going. And he said, I'm not going to take them on the shortest path because if they did go that path, they would encounter war and they're not ready for war. These people have been slaves for generations. They're not soldiers. They're not ready. And if they went up against war, even though it was the shortest path, God said, I know what's going to happen. They're going to be tempted to want to go back to Egypt, to go back where they had been. So first big truth this morning is this. God graciously and sovereignly leads his people with purpose beyond their understanding. We don't know how much the children of Israel realized what God was saving them from, what he was doing. But we know that God is wise and God is gracious. And he was keeping them from trouble and trial and war by leading them intentionally in a different way. Because he knew if they had taken that path, they would have wanted to go back to Egypt. Now, it's kind of a crazy thing, really, when you think about it. To go back to Egypt meant going back into a life of slavery. 
You, you wouldn't go back and say, Whew, okay, well, let's, let's buy a house, honey. No, if you went back, Pharaoh was there. Pharaoh was going to get you. Pharaoh was going to make you a slave, and you would have gone back to everything that you had been before. In slavery, in bondage, in weakness, nothing of your own, no joy, no peace. You would have gone back to a life of slavery. I mean, you would have gone back to making bricks all day long in the heat, no pay. Make more bricks all day long in the heat, no pay. Make more bricks keep serving Pharaoh, living in fear of Pharaoh. Why would anybody go back to that? You see, mm, this is going to be good this morning. You see, here's what happens. They weren't soldiers yet. They weren't warriors yet. And when you head out and you're not matured and you're not trained and you come up against resistance, and you come up against reaction, and you come up against what seems to be impossible, you know what you will do? If you're not trained and mature, you'll run back to where you'd been before. You'll run back to what was comfortable. You'll run back to where you kind of knew and you had some sense of security, even if it was something terrible. That's why people who have addictions... Please don't just think you're, I'm talking about somebody else this morning. We all have some areas in our life that we are quick to turn to and hold on to instead of Christ from time to time. Hello? Don't. Well, if you come up against resistance and reaction and war when you're not trained for it, you will turn back to what you know is comfortable. Because to be one of God's people, you've got to learn to walk completely in trust and faith and in what you cannot see. Amen. And they weren't ready for that. They weren't ready to go up against war. They weren't ready to go up against spiritual warfare because they were still babes in walking with God. Okay? All right? So God graciously leads us, but it has to be in a place of dependence it's a learned skill to walk with God, trust Him, lean on Him. When you come up against reaction to keep pressing forward, that's a learned skill for the mature in faith, and the people of God were not there yet. So the passage says this, So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. So God took them on a different path. Not the shortest path because there was war along that path. So he led them down a different path. Now, you and I have heard the story so many times, we almost think this is kind of poetic. He led them around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. Sounds poetic. It's not. Wilderness. I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear wilderness. The wilderness was the desert. The wilderness was dry. The wilderness was barren. The wilderness was dangerous. There was no, not enough water there. There was not enough food there. And God was going to intentionally lead them into that place. Now, sometimes you and I think about how our sin gets us into some tough spots from time to time, and it does. But I'm going to tell you, you can be walking in full obedience to God 
And he will lead you into a dry place for his glory. Hold on to that. We're not finished this morning. He led them around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. They're about to come up against the Red Sea. In other words, the path that God is leading them is about to take them to a place where they cannot go forward anymore. Really? God is leading them there. Big truth number two. For their good and for his glory, God led them into desert, danger, and dead end. Wow. God intentionally led them on this path. He had a purpose. He had a plan. He led them into a dry place. He led them into a dangerous place. And they were walking in full obedience. There's no indication at this point that they have openly sinned and God is doing this because of their sin. God is leading them there to this place intentionally. And you have to remember, this is what a gracious, sovereign, and wise God does. He leads his people. And it often takes us into places of greater joy, blessing, but sometimes it takes us into difficult paths. Sometimes it takes us into barren places. Sometimes it even takes us into places where we come up against a wall and have no clue what we're going to do next. The passage continues and it says this, And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. It's great. They're trusting God. They're believing God. I don't know how much they know about the region. I don't know how much they know about the path. They've been slaves for so long. They didn't have any way of checking Google Maps before they left. They're just trusting God and walking with him. And they go up and here we go. And they're marching and they're moving. They're trusting God on the path that he's got them on. The passage continues and it says this. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel. In other words, Moses, I've got a message. And I want you to tell the children of Israel this. That they turn and camp before Piakiroth, if you were wondering. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I simply have a program on my phone that tells me how to pronounce words like that. <laughs> and that they turn and camp before Piakiroth, between Migdol and the sea, opposite Baal Zephon, you shall camp before it by the sea. God says, I want you to go up right up against the Red Sea, and I want you to camp there. I want you to set up camp. This is not 12 people. This is not 200 people. This is over a million people. And they set up camp, and they take up residence, and they rest. They come to the place that is their barrier. They come up against the place that is their problem. They come up against the place where they don't know what's going to happen next, and they rest there. Wow. With faith, with determination, with confidence in God because he's led them out, they go right up against their barrier, looking right at it, and set up camp and set down. Whew. What a great message for us. 
It's so easy to want to run from our barriers, our walls, and the dead end, and the desert, and the danger. And God calls us to come right up against it and just sit down and rest because there's a purpose. The passage goes on and it says that, that Moses is telling the people this. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. You see, again, God is sovereign. That means he knows all things and he works all things. He has purpose. There's nothing random. There's nothing unplanned. There's nothing that catches God by surprise. He orchestrates and he plans and he sovereignly works. And God says to Moses, Moses, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go and you're going to camp in this specific place that I tell you to camp. And here's what's going to happen. Pharaoh is going to find out you're camped there. And he's going to say in his own heart and mind, they're in the wilderness and they are closed in. <sighs> Got them. That's what Pharaoh's going to think. And God's given Moses a, a behind-the-scenes look. And they, he tells the people of God this as well. And Pharaoh's loving all of this. And Pharaoh in the story is a picture of Satan. It's what he does. He's watching your life. He's watching the moves you make. He doesn't know all things. He's not sovereign, doesn't have sovereign abilities. He knows what he sees. And so he's looking at your life, and he's watching when you come up against a barrier, a wall, a, an impossibility. And he's thinking in his head, <laughs> got him got him right now and he loves those spots where you look trapped where you look vulnerable where you look weak where you look like there's no way out and then God gives Moses a little bit more insight and he says this then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Again, I don't know how many times you've read this story, heard this story, but there's a part of this verse right here that is something you've just got to take in. Something you're going to wrestle with a little bit, but you've got to understand this. Then I, that's God speaking, will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. Now, we've read the story. And there are times that the Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then there are times that it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And you think, wait a minute. You mean God caused Pharaoh to become more bitter? more angry, more vindictive, and to chase after his own people? Yes. God does that. He has power over the hearts of men. There is no one on this planet today that is not acting outside of the sovereign will of God. They think they are. 
They're acting out like they are on their own, don't need him, and are not controlled by him. But I'm telling you, when you step back and take a look at the, the big picture of Scripture, it is there over and over and over again. Sometimes God hardens the hearts of rulers. But if you'll notice, there's no period there. That sentence continues. And God says, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh. Oh, I've got a purpose in this. You've got to remember God's sovereign. God is gracious. God has a purpose. And God says, I'm going to get glory out of this. And I have a bigger purpose than what you know, Moses, people of God. And I'm working all things. Trust me. It may look like you, your life's out of control. It may look like the people that are in charge are acting on their own and are independent of God. But God is sovereign. Our next big truth this morning that you and I have to grasp is one we have talked about before. God always works in sovereign symphony. I've told you before, I was in band in high school. I played the clarinet, and the clarinet has some weird parts. I'm sure my mom and dad listened to me practice in my room and thought, what song is that? Because the clarinet has some some weird stuff it does. It trills every once in a while. It plays counter melodies every once in a while. And if you were just listening to the clarinet part, you would not understand what song was being played. But if you heard the clarinet in the orchestra, you would say, wow, that is beautiful. And I don't just hear the clarinet. I hear the tuba, the trombone, the French horn, the piccolo. I hear it all. And it's beautiful when it's all together. So let me just give an example. So far in this story, just from what God has revealed to us in the passage, we know that God is leading his people in a very specific path so, so that they don't encounter war and become discouraged. That's happening. We also know that he is leading his people to a promised land. That's happening. We also know, as we read, that God's going to gain honor over Pharaoh and we also know that God's going to cause the Egyptians, that's what it said, he's going to cause the Egyptians to know that he is God. And it's all happening at the same time. All together, God does that kind of stuff. When he works in one area, it is always in concert with another area that he's doing. He's not working independently in this church, separate from any church in this area. He has a master plan that he is working, and because you and I can't see it, doesn't mean it's not happening. Amen. It's happening. And so for your own personal life, you might see it as a series of random events. You might see it as part looks like it's under God's command, and the rest of it looks like it's not. But the truth is, he is sovereign over all. He's sovereign over your good day and your bad day. He's sovereign over the blessings and he's sovereign over the barren times. And he uses them all together. In this case, remember, God has intentionally, intentionally led his people into a place that was barren and dry. 
where they would suffer need, where they would not have enough water, not have enough food, and they would face danger. God is the one who hardened Pharaoh's heart to cause him to come after them. And God is the one who told him exactly where to camp. God led them to that place. It's so challenging, though, whenever we're looking at just the circumstances, because it looks like it's out of control. It looks like God has left me. It looks like God is out to get me. But it's in that moment that I maintain and I cry out, God, you are good. You are Lord over all. You are the great I am. You are the wise one. You are the sovereign Lord. And just because I can't see it and figure it out and come to a conclusion about it doesn't mean it's not true. And I will hold to you in these moments because I trust in who you are. Amen? Amen. Amen. So after Moses talks to them and tells them to camp and kind of gives them the behind the scenes about God's going to harden Pharaoh's heart, God's going to gain glory over him, the Bible gives this short sentence of how the people of God responded. And they did so. They camped. They set up camp and they rested right there. Up against their impossibility, up against their troubles, up against the danger, up against barren times, they camped, they rested, they obeyed, and they did so. Whew. Wouldn't it be a great, you know, statement for your life? You come to the end of your life and someone's up talking at your funeral one day. Sorry to get all kind of gory here. But, you know, you come to that end of your life and someone stands up to talk about you. And this is the statement that they make. They believe God. They heard his voice. They trusted his word. And even though there was reaction and resistance, they believed him. They trusted him. And when God told them to speak and move and go whatever he called them to do, they did so. They did so. passage goes on, Exodus 14, 5 through 9. Let me kind of summarize what happens here. It says that Pharaoh did harden his heart. It says that he regretted letting them go. And he set off to get them, to capture them. It says that he rallied 600 of the choice chariots in the land, as well as every chariot in the land. And he sent soldiers and they took off toward the children of Israel. He's going to get them. He's going to ambush. He's going to capture them in the place where they are caught. So the Bible says this, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Isn't that crazy? We're just talking about a, a matter of five verses here. We read in one moment, and they did so. They trusted God. They took up camp. They believed him. They rested in the moment. They trusted him to deliver them. And all of a sudden, they look around, and here comes Pharaoh and his armies. 
and they panic. They totally lose it. They're very afraid. They're panicking and they're crying out to God. And you're like, wow, I can't really believe they did that. Hold up. <laughs> Hold up. It's easy to sit in here on a Sunday morning and say, oh, Lord, you are good. I trust you. I'm going to believe you. Woo, thank you, Lord. You're good. And you get to Monday morning and the bill comes in. You get to Monday afternoon and the conflict starts up. You get to Tuesday and you find out you lost your job. You get to Wednesday and you find out you don't have any insurance. And all this stuff starts happening to you. You're like, God, where are you? You're gone. You've turned against me. What have I done? You're like, huh? I thought you were a they-did-so person. I thought you were camped out and rested and trusting God for whatever happens in your life. Even if you get led into desert and danger and dead end. Hello. Right. Now, we're all here together this morning, right? We all just, just kind of got real if it hadn't been already. They got very afraid. It's one thing to make a commitment. It's quite another when you hear the chariots approaching. It's one thing to make a, a promise. Then all of a sudden you look and the enemy is right in your face. It's, quite a, it's one thing to surrender everything to God. It's quite another when the, the trouble just stares you right in the face. And you panic. And they did. They panicked. They forgot everything that they had heard and learned in God's word. And they got caught up in their situation instead of in God's promises. And here's what it says that happens next. Then they said to Moses... Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Moses, you, this is all your fault. Why have you done this? Moses, what were you thinking? You set us free. Are you crazy? You see what happens when you lose your perspective? You, you start calling things that are good bad. You, you get all twisted up in your thinking, and you forget some truths and when you should be grateful, you're grumbling. And when you should be compassionate, you're complaining. And when you should be walking in obedience, you've taken up a place of just stubbornness and say, this is your fault. Yep. You don't move anymore. It goes on, it says, is this not the word that we told you in Egypt? Saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. They go back and they're justifying themselves. Didn't we tell you this was going to happen, Moses? I told you when we were there in Egypt, we shouldn't leave. We should just stay here as slaves. That would be terrible for us to be free. Crazy. That's what happens when you lose your perspective. That's what happens when you start looking at what's in the middle instead of the one who's above. That's what happens when you start looking at the now instead of at the eternal. That's what happens when you start thinking on your words and your thoughts instead of God's words and his thoughts. You'll totally miss what is about to be the most glorious moment in your life because you've hardened your heart in the moment. And they go on and say, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. In other words, we should have stayed slaves. We should have stayed in bondage. We should have just kept on making bricks. We should have just stayed in that hell hole. We should have just stayed there rather than come out and be free. Rather than come out and trust God. 
But I told you early on, you don't just walk out of where you've been without being trained in the process. Because when you walk out of your freedom, you've got to learn to trust God. You've got to learn to listen to his voice, not put your trust in what you see, and you've got to keep taking steps of faith even when it seems like the wrong thing to do. You keep on walking forward even though you know it's taking you into more desert, more danger, more dead end because you are confident that what seems to be a dead end is actually God's way of escape. That's what happens when you trust. Oh, but that takes some walking with God to get to that place. It takes calling out to some people who've been down the path ahead of you to help you in those times. Big truth for us this morning. When faith is not our fuel, we fear, complain, blame, justify, and want to go backwards. You want to go back. You'd rather take the easy approach. You'd rather go back, even though it was a bad place, You'd rather go back to the thing that held you in bondage because it got comfortable. And you found something there that did something for you. And I don't have to list what those potential bondages are. There are many. But if faith is not fueling you to move forward, you'll be tempted to go backwards in exactly the same way they were. They forgot God had delivered them. They forgot where God was taking them. They forgot that God was good. They forgot that they were free. They forgot that God was leading them. And it totally changed their thinking. Have you ever seen someone that was a friend, family member? And all of a sudden, they start making the craziest choices. And they start thinking in a way that is counter to all you knew about them. When I see that happening, and I've experienced it in my own life, it usually means God's trying to move them forward into a place of faith, and they are resisting. They don't want to go. They don't want to have to exercise more faith than they have had before. It's scary. It's uncertain. It's different. It's new. And God's trying to pull them forward, and they're resisting. They want to go back, and they want to complain, and they want to point fingers, and they want to justify themselves. Then Moses gives them wise counsel from God. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. God said to them, look, I know it's desert, it's danger, it's a dead end. I know the enemy's coming. I know. Who do you think sent him? I know. I know your situation. I'm not far away. I'm with you. 
you've got to remember, I'm sovereign. I'm gracious. I'm good. I'm wise. I know. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand still. Absolutely still. And I want you to see me rescue you. I want you to see what I'm going to accomplish for you. Because that enemy that's pursuing you today, you're never, ever going to see again. I'm going to set you free. Amen. Amen. You see, God had taken his people out of Egypt, and that is glorious. But God wasn't through. Yes, it was a long journey to the promised land, longer than what they could have even taken. The geographically logical path would have been much shorter. But you see, God is not just interested in getting his people from their place of bondage into promised land. Watch this. God is getting his people out of Egypt, but he had to get Egypt out of his people. And you can get your people out of Egypt in one day, but it's a much longer path to get Egypt out of your people. You see, they had lived for generations as slaves. No concept of freedom. No concept of being a people. No concept for caring for one another as freed people. No concept of God being their deliverer. They had lived in bondage for so long, all they knew was the oppressive hand of Pharaoh upon their life. That's all they knew. And that's how they lived. They lived to the point where they feared Pharaoh more than God. They feared Pharaoh more than God. That's why they stayed there for so long. They thought he had more power over them than God could have power in them. And that had to be routed out of them. You had to get that out. They, you see, what's happening here in the story is they're free. They've been free, and they're far away from where they've been. And Pharaoh starts coming, and what do they do? They do what they had always instinctively done when Pharaoh came in the room. You hid, and you ran, and you feared, and you submitted to him because you thought he had control. And that, folks, had to go. That had to leave. The people of God couldn't live thinking Pharaoh is bigger than God. And God's about the same thing in you and I. He's in the process now of routing out how you used to live, ways you used to think, things you used to bow down to and maybe still even do. He is in the business of removing those things. Because you can't experience all that's in the promised land until you get all of Egypt out of you. Amen. Amen. So they had to have their fear of Pharaoh undone. They had to have this thing that made them jump every time he came in the room that had to go. They had to get out of their mind that they were his slave first. And God was taking all that out. And God was 
replacing it with a new drive. You see, that was the only drive they'd ever known. They didn't know that they could trust God to free them, to deliver them, to care for them. The next verse is perhaps the most powerful, loving, and intimate part of this whole story. Moses says to the children of Israel, the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. You see, one thing you did not have as a slave was someone to be your defender. No one stood up for you. No one cared for you. No one stood up for who you were and how you were being treated and to protect you from being mistreated and to shield you, to guard you, to hold you, to care for you. That didn't happen in Egypt. That didn't happen for the children of Israel. They didn't even know what that meant. And so God takes them on a path. It's not just geographic. It's spiritual. And this path takes them into desert and danger and dead end. And it's so that... They will come up against the barrier, come up against the resistance, come up against their enemy. And there, God would say to them, I want you to just stand still now and see me fight for you. They'd never had that before. But this was going to be classroom 101 in walking with God. Can you imagine? There's resistance. There's warfare. There's battle. There's people coming to capture you. And God says to you, I want you to just stand still. I don't want you to cower. I don't want you to run. I want you to stand. Just stand there. I don't want you to turn around. I want you to look. I want you to see. Turn and face your enemy and stand and stand absolutely still put your weapon down put your shield down stop clenching your fists stop glaring with your eyes stop the tension the fear the worry, stand still. Hold your peace and watch the Lord fight for you. Amen. You see, God graciously, sovereignly arranges the events of your life, they're not random. They're not by your choosing, they're by his choosing. And when you come up against a place and you think, I don't know what to do. I can't get out. I'm stuck. I got, I got enemies pressing all around me. Then you are in the perfect place 
for God to teach you something you had not known before. That's what he wants. And, and here's how you do it. You stand still and you trust him. Even when you see those chariots coming down the hill, even when you see the cloud of dust, even when you see their faces, even when you see the spears, even when you look and you see Red Sea, stand still and trust him. It's going to ignite in you a new level of drive that you've never had before. But it's okay. He's about to do something new. You and I don't have to fear in those moments. We don't have to panic. We don't have to be undone. We can stand still. Last two points when we finish this morning. The call of God, I believe, for us today is to do this. Give up your old ways of complaining, having no hope, being filled with shame, being filled with anger, and being filled with fear. Don't look forward like you used to look forward. These are all the reactions of a slave who still lives oppressed, who still lives under (coughs) condemnation. It's time to refuse to let those be how we're going to respond anymore. We don't live in Egypt anymore. We've been bought and redeemed and called out and are now citizens of the kingdom of God. So I put these all behind me. Last point. See Jesus sovereignly leading you into his victory, into freedom, and into new depths of faith. You can trust him. He's got it. He's got it under control. He's got a purpose. He's waiting for you to stop complaining. He's waiting for you to stop saying, I told you this was going to happen. I knew it. I told you back there. If I walked, this was going to happen. It's all your fault. He's waiting for you to stop all that. Say, okay, God, I'm going to open my eyes, look square into the future you've got for me, and trust you. Would you bow your heads with me? This morning, in the midst of whatever's going on in your life, can you admit before God, God, I have, I have so walked in my old ways. It's so natural for me to be angry and fearful and demanding and complaining. And God, I've been wrong for that. I have not looked with eyes of faith. I've been looking at my situation through my own eyes. God, would you forgive me today? I take in your forgiveness for me because of what Jesus did on the cross. And can you see today Jesus standing before you? Can you just see him? Can you just picture him in your mind, in your heart, fighting for you? Doing the battle for you? going up against your enemy, going on your behalf, 
and he's speaking truth and he's defending you, he's fighting for you, and he's looking at you saying, just stand still and trust me. Can you see him teaching you, leading you? Father, this morning, I'm so grateful that your word is alive and powerful. It cuts deep into our heart and it reveals our motives and it also reveals your motives to us. It reveals your ways and you're calling us to walk in new ways, God. You're growing us up as a church and as a people, as individuals and you're, you're challenging us and you're calling us forward and you're calling us into a new place where you are our defender. You call us to trust, put our hands down, stand still, and see you fighting on our behalf. So we thank you this morning that you went to the cross and you did just that. That there you fought for our freedom. You fought for our forgiveness. You fought that we might be accepted. You fought that we might have hope. You fought that we might be able to enter into the very throne room of the Father and there find grace and help in our time of need. And I thank you that you accomplished every bit of that on the cross. And you accomplished every bit of it in the full defeat because of the resurrection. And that as a result today, we stand in your victory. We stand in confidence, not because of us, but because of you. We stand still today, trusting you to fight our battles, trusting you to keep us, to guard us, protect us. And this morning, we come to say we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Would you stand with me this morning? come to times like this at the end of our service that are a time of response for us to respond to God. He's been speaking. And what we do here at Vertical is we'll have counselors available here for you to come if you would like to have someone to pray with. Sometimes it's powerful to have someone else pray for you. When you can't utter the words, have someone else do that to encourage you. So this morning, I, I hope you'll make use of this space and this time. Maybe you just want to come here to pray. Maybe you want to get with someone and pray. I'm going to ask our counselors to go ahead and come now. Be available. To be ready to receive you who come. This morning, if you want to come and say, I think God's called me to be a part of this church. I'm, I want to come and join. Use this time. Come let one of them know. If you come this morning and say, I just need someone to pray for me. Come and do that. If you'd say, oh, I, I'm really struggling right now. I need some help. Just a little bit of counsel. This is that time. Let's respond to the Lord. Amen.